Good morning. Welcome on in. Thanks for joining us, DJ and PK, on this weather-plagued Tuesday morning. I'm PK, DJ's off, Riley Jansen, giving him the first hour off. He'll be joining us at the top of the hour. We're going to be talking some football. Steve Young said last, well, that's actually like three weeks ago, he came on with DJ and myself the week of the Super Bowl, and he made a statement. He said that he wanted to see Zach Wilson get with Sean McVay of the Rams because he thought Sean McVay could resurrect his career, speaking of Wilson's, that he could sit for a couple years behind Matthew Stafford, maybe play a little bit, have the opportunity to take over when you look at what Matthew Stafford has done, won the Super Bowl, and he had the year before last was injury plagued, but he's had two, three good seasons, and Sean McVay, wow, he's something, isn't he? You know, when he took over the Rams, they hadn't had a winning season in, I think, uh, close to 15 years. Well, what's he do that very first season with Jared Goff? Boom. Winning season. And then a couple years later, Goff takes him to the Super Bowl. And then they ship him off to Detroit, brings in Stafford, who'd never won a playoff game. And what does he do? He wins the Super Bowl. So when Steve Young says that, I think there's some credence to it and... When you think about it, it makes just a ton of sense because Steve Young knows what he's talking about. Obviously, he went through the same thing. He was 3-16 and in two years as a quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Had like 11, maybe 10 touchdowns to 21 interceptions as it was. Then he gets traded for some draft picks to the Niners. You know the story. I don't need to rehearse it. We know what happened. He sees that. Now, he's in contact with Zach Wilson a lot. Obviously, they got the BYU connection. And he's been counseling him. And he thinks it's going to work. Yeah. And the reason why I bring that up is because there was a report, NFL Rumors, uh, an account has 300,000 followers on Twitter slash X, said that he heard that the Rams would be interested in acquiring Wilson. And why wouldn't they? Because they got to start preparing for a quarterback of the future. And if you can get somebody on a relative cheap, which I think it would be like a late-round draft choice at this point, you would do it. What do you got to lose, right? Have him sit behind Stafford and rebuild his confidence. Steve Young says it's not going to be easy to rebuild his confidence, but he thinks it can be done. You know, Zach has some scars and some wounds, obviously, because his three seasons did not go very well with the Jets as the number two pick coming out in, what, uh, 21, was it? Yeah, so with that in mind, go along those directions and uh, see what you got there. And maybe you got something. I think it was, what, in 20? and No, 21, right? And because uh, he played the 21, 22, 23 season, yeah, three years, and this will be his fourth year in the league. I buy it. I buy it big time. We'll get Riley Jensen's uh, thoughts on it. Frank Dolce is going to do- join us, too, get his thoughts. And spring ball, BYU starting up on Thursday. Their spring practice is going to get going here very, very soon. Utah's right around the corner, too. I mean, it's March at the end of this week, for sure. It's a go time here with spring ball. What's going to happen with BYU in their quarterback situation? Is it going to be Bohannon? Is it going to be Retzloff? Maybe somebody else? Probably not somebody else. Uh, obviously, Rising is the guy at uh, Utah, but what are they going to let him do in spring ball? Does he really need to go through spring ball? Uh, maybe just kind of go through the motions a little bit. But if you get within a mile of them and you hit them, you're immediately uh, cut from the team and expelled from the university. 
they got to find a backup quarterback. Is it going to be Rose, the youngster, Wilson? I don't know that he's going to be ready now, uh, but maybe in the spring or uh, training camp that starts in August, he can ramp it up, see what they got there going on. And then you got Utah State. What are they going to do at quarterback? Bryson Barnes going up there, and the Utes going to play them. A lot of interesting stuff with college sports in our community. One of the reasons why I really enjoy working in this community is because of the college sports. Uh, for me, I was always a college sport. Not always. I'm mean, growing up back east a little bit. It was all about the pros. But then when I moved to Arizona, you know, they just had the Suns, right? So it was a lot about uh, college. That's when I really started to get into college sports after I moved to Arizona. And uh, our market is just flush with it. We got football, obviously, and we got basketball. Big games tonight. And I watched the Big 12 last night. Oh, my gosh. They do it again. The Big 12 basketball is just unfreaking real <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe how much I like it. I mean, I can believe that it's unreal, but I can't believe how much I like it being a Pac-12 guy. I've dismissed Pac-12 basketball pretty easy in favor of the Big 12. Rankings came out yesterday, and was the Big 12 of three teams in the top 10? Three. And Houston, of course, is number one. Best defense I've seen in the country so far. And they got enough offense. They deserve to be ranked number one. Kelvin Sampson at 68 years of age, getting a job done. They'll go into the conference tournament next month, obviously, as the favorite. And they're probably going to get a one seed. And then you got Kansas and Iowa State. How about that, man? That's pretty impressive when you think about it. Three teams in the top 12 and – top 10, I should say. And BYU – they play two of those teams. Now, they already had Houston come in, gave them a good game, and obviously lost at the end. Uh, but you look at the rankings now, and Kansas sitting there at, uh, what are they, number seven? Yeah, I think they are. And then Iowa State is eight right behind them. And the reason why that's pertinent is that BYU has four conference games left. And two of them are against Kansas and Iowa State. And, of course, the Kansas game is tonight. You like their chances? Mm, not sure that I do. <laughs> uh, they keep shooting threes on the road and keep missing. You're not going to beat anybody. As we've seen, Kansas State beat them last week, and then Oklahoma State teams at the bottom of the conference. Kansas State, yeah, my gosh, they blew a 20-point lead plus, 20-plus points last night and going to overtime West Virginia but Kansas State got the win I mean, it seems like every game coming down to the end at least the games they put on television and overtime games Baylor had that overtime game with Houston on Saturday Saturdays for me man watching the Big 12 in the winter when I can't go out and play golf or do whatever outside it's been a lot of fun I've really appreciated it I enjoy it and I watched that game on Saturday. Watched the game last night. I watched both those games. You know, there was a little bit of NBA going on. Jazz played tonight against Atlanta and Quinn Snyder. Uh, and watched the overtime game. Caught the end of that. And then all, pretty much all of Baylor TCU. Baylor getting it done. Didn't want to have a three-game losing streak because they had lost to BYU last week and then Houston on Saturday. So they go over to Fort Worth and get the job done. And they move to 9-6. and six. TCU moves to 8-7, and seven. and BYU looking to get opportunity to win 20 games. Well, you know, I don't think they're going to beat Kansas. Pretty sure they're not going to beat Iowa State, but, you know, we've been surprised before, right? Maybe they can do it. I mean, it's not out of the realm by any stretch, 
But the thing about it is they've got two very winnable games with TCU and Oklahoma State at home. Yeah, as they're 19 and 8, 7 and 7 in the league. They got to get that. And then Fresno will provide little to no uh, what competition for the Utah State Aggies? Utah State Aggies in the rankings. BYU falls out of the rankings for the first time since November. Get a couple more wins, they'll get right back in it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Okay, coming up, we are going to let you hear from our guy. We had an opportunity to interview, speaking of Utah State, Mr. Great Osibor, the sensational power forward for the Utah State Aggies. Stay with us. That's coming up next on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5, the zone. We're joined now by Great Osibor, Utah State's forward. Great, good morning. Good morning. How y'all doing? We're doing well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I saw your post-game interview after the win against San Diego State, and there are a lot of things you expect in that situation. And to talk about the game and what a big win it was, but you went to playing in front of the crowd, and uh, what a gift that was. That this is you talk about. This is what you dream of when you're uh, when you're young and and you're shooting hoops, and one day you want to be that good. Can you? Wh- when did you know it was going to be this much fun to play in front of the fans in the spectrum? When did it really register with what you have there and the and the connection with the fan base? Honestly, honestly, I don't think I realized until the first game, like the exhibition game. And you know what's mad? I didn't even play. I didn't even play our first like exhibition game because I tweaked my ankle. And I've been hearing about the spectrum the whole summer since I got here from everyone. Everyone's like. Um, and just wait till you see the spectrum. Just wait till you see the spectrum. And I was, and it got to the point where I was looking like, there's no way it can be like that good. And then the first game we're playing at Division Two school, and it's packed. And I'm like, bro, there's no way. And then I finally played in it, and now like, you can just feel all the energy and support. And I was like, okay, it, this is for real. And it's just getting better every game, and that's been big time. You obviously followed uh, Coach Sprinkle from Montana State, and you were a good player there. But I don't think there's any question that you've upped your game here with Utah State. So as the competition has gotten better, you've obviously handled it. What do you think are some of the reasons for the improvement that you had in your first two seasons over there at Montana State versus what you've been able to do so far here for the Aggies? I mean, obviously, we had a really good team at Montana State last year, uh, shown by the fact that we won the Big Sky Tournament and went to the NCAA Tournament, and that was the second straight time we went there. So, like, last year I was a sophomore, and I was playing behind the league MVP, and it was just a matter of me playing my role, you know, and buying my time. And then, obviously, obviously, once Coach Sprint got the job here, and he was like, great, we need you. Like this, this year show once you come here with us because we trust you. Just we're gonna give you the opportunity to do what you do. It was pretty much a no-brainer at that point. Like he wanted me to come to Utah State, and he was like, "I will give you the keys. Like you already know our system. It's your turn." I'd like to back up in your your personal story a few more years. You grew up in England, not known as a basketball hotspot. 
How do you come to the sport? How do you get trained in the sport? And how do you end up deciding to come play college basketball in, in the U.S.? Start start with the beginning. How, how do you fall in love with the sport and get hooked on it? So I was born in Spain, right? And in Spain, basketball is a, bit, a little bit. It's more bigger than in England, how, how big it is in England. So when I was growing up, when I was a kid, I was like, I had too much energy, right? And my parents were like, okay, what are we going to do with this kid? And my aunt and uncle, my older cousin, he, he used to play basketball. They were like, you might as well try putting great in basketball, see if that helps, like, help tire him out and stuff. So they were like, okay. So when I was when I was three, they put me in, like, them kids' basketball, like, practices. And ever since then, I've been playing. So when I moved to England, even though basketball isn't, like, the main sport there, it's like, this is something I've been doing my whole life. That's all I know. So I was like, I'm going to keep doing it, right? Because I'm, I'm pretty good. But then I went to, I was going, playing different levels. And I was like, okay, uh, obviously the goal is to go to America, play at the highest level possible, right? And we didn't know how we were going to do that. But then I ended up going to my school academy in Preston. And my freshman, my first year there, Chris Haslam, the assistant coach here, well, at the time he was at Montana State, he came and seen me. And I was like 6'5". But he was like, okay, this kid really, like, he has something, you know, we're going to keep an eye on him and keep in touch. And then that summer from my first year, um, my school body school to my second year, I kind of grew to like six, 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 seven, And then it was like from there, after I got a few offers, and the rest is, is kind of history, you know. The story of Utah State is certainly here locally. It's well-documented as far as basically everybody leaving. Uh, Falsef obviously was a red shirt, but pretty much everybody left and the coaches leave and, and all these new guys come together here and from various places. And here you are. Uh, Coach Sprinkle, we'd all be shocked if he's not coach of the year and, and you still have a few ball games to go, but you're looking like you have a good shot to be player of the year in the conference. At what point when you guys all got together, did it click to where you thought, we have a shot to be pretty good this year? You know, I've been lying if I told you I need the whole time. But we we had a we had a tough game against Bradley where we lost in overtime. Yeah. But that low-key opened our eyes to the fact that, okay, we can really compete. And then, obviously, we came back, played a few more games. But the Cayman Islands, when we won the Cayman Islands, well, I was like, okay, we really might be for real, you know, because we played three amazing teams in the Cayman Islands, and I was like, okay, we can really, we can really do this. And then it was a matter of building from that at that point. Like everybody bought in, everyone, no one had egos. We just wanted to win and get better. And it's it's fun to come to practice every day and do what we do, you know. Winning certainly builds camaraderie and chemistry. It's a lot easier to get along when everybody's happy because uh, you just won the you just won the last game. You guys have done a lot of winning this year. How do you build yeah, sure. the personal relationships, and who are you closer to when guys are coming and going and moving around, and maybe only on a team for a year? There's not a lot of time. Who have you bonded with, and how? Um, I've I've bonded with the whole team pretty much. Like obviously that. We had a few guys who were from here, like Landon Branchley, Mason Falsler, and Isaac Johnson. And in the summer, they did a really good job of, like, having people over to, like, their house, making sure we could spend time together. And I spent a lot of time with Joshua Duje and 
constant temple, like, like those are my guys. Like, we, we're always together, basically. And just having people that you can relate to off the court, it makes it easier, like, on the floor. If I, if I tell Carson something, like, I know he's going to execute and listen because he just wants to do the best thing for the team because uh, we're so good friends. Whatever I tell him, if, whether it's good or bad, he's not going to take it personal. It's just a matter of winning. And same with Josh, like, he's a, an elite scorer, right? Well, like right now he's going for the role where he's going to come off the bench and give us a sparking game that we need, like Wyoming. He was the best player on the floor, arguably, that game. And little things like that just makes it better. You're 10-4 and four in conference, uh, three of the losses on the road, one at home. Uh, so you've won enough. You put yourselves in the position to win the thing for sure. Maybe, you know, we'll see what happens. But I'm wondering, the losses – uh, how much can you benefit from them? Because it's not like you've just breezed through. You've had some real tough games. And so thinking that, hey, these losses that you've had, maybe they could uh, get the focus there and with the coaches realize what you need to do to finish this thing out. I mean, absolutely. Like, I don't think no – we knew going in, Coach Sprinkle told us, like, he told us in January, no one in the Mile West Conference is going to go undefeated, right? Like, this is a, a, an elite conference, an elite basketball conference. So the thing, the only thing you can do at that point is you learn from your losses. Like, you don't want it to compound and it become a thing. But when you lose, you got to realize why did you lose and then take that and improve that for our games. So next time when we play a team, we're not going to lose. And again, like, as it's shown all around the league, winning in the Mount West is not e- in the, it's not easy. Like, and especially on the road, like it's super hard. So when you can manage to sneak on out there and get a win on the road and learn from that, it's big time, you know. Yeah. Utah State Aggie star Great Osabor joining us right here on the Zone. You mentioned Coach Sprinkle. He he's brand new here. You you probably spend as much time with him as anybody in the in the state. What is he? What is he like? What has he got that makes him a good coach? Now, I, you know what it is with Coach Sprinkle. Yeah, he he's so personable. Like you wouldn't you see him and you talk to him and you wouldn't have it that okay this guy is the head coach of the Utah State team that's whatever like twenty twenty two and five or whatever. Like he he really cares about people and. I can really tell you about it because I've been with him for like three years now, and I, I would say I know him as well as about as well as anyone out here. And like he really cares about everything, like any minor little detail, like he cares. Like and he cares about you as a person, as a basketball player. He wants you to be your best version. So when you have someone in that corner, like everyone just wants to do their job, you know, because you know he's gonna bring it every day. And if he brings it and you don't bring it, then it might become an issue. So to keep everyone happy. We just all bring it, you know. How much did living in a town like Bozeman prepare you for living in Logan? I'm wondering if there's similarities there. Um, Bozeman's awesome. Bozeman's actually really cool. People underrate Bozeman. I don't know. If if you've not been to Bozeman, you need to take a trip there. Like, it's really cool. Little, little town, little city. Like, it prepared me for Logan in the sense that Logan isn't the biggest city, but there's a there's a lot of different things in Logan to do. You just got to go find it. And that's low-key the same with Bozeman. And Bozeman's been cool. Like, I've seen this from the summer, and especially when you meet people from here, like, they show you around. You have, you have a good time. 
When you go when you go back home, when you go back to England, and people say, "What's the United States like?" What do you tell them? Well, I tell them it's different. Like obviously, uh, Logan and Bozeman are a lot different from say Florida or California or whatever. But it just I tell them it depends on where you go. Like where I've been, it's been it's been cool. It's been whatever, but. I've been blessed uh, through basketball. I get to travel a lot, and I see a lot of different places. So I just thought it was really different. When you're done with college and all that, what do you want to do with basketball? Obviously, my goal is to play at the highest level I can possibly can. God gave me a gift with my talents and my abilities, and I feel like I owe it to God and the people who've trusted in me to try and make the most out of it, you know. Obviously, I'm having a really good season. We're going to see how everything pans out afterwards. Well, I'm still a junior, so I still have a year back here. I want to take it, you know. So we'll see. I assume that if people are telling you about the spectrum, they're telling you about other pieces of Utah State basketball history and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And you've still got, uh, I think, four regular season games to go before the conference tournament. But – have you heard about the rivalry between the Aggies and the Aztecs and how it usually works out in the conference tournament? There tends to be a third meeting. Yeah, I heard that they tend Aggies against San Diego State tends to be the final, huh? <laughs> it does. It has been, yeah. Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, obviously, you don't want to look ahead and get yourself in trouble, but it was a great game last time. I'd, I'd be down to see them again. They're an amazing team. It'd be a fun way to end and. Uh, conference well great awesome we have great we appreciate uh talking to you I, I guess for people who haven't heard the story why are you named great how are you named great so when my parents first found out they were gonna have me my parents like we come from a really religious household so my parents were like wow god is great like and they were so filled with joy that they were like okay my dad was like great that's it we're gonna go with great and there it is. Well, we appreciate a few minutes of your time and getting to know you better. Thanks for joining us here on the radio yeah. this morning. Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you very much. Great, awesome. Our Utah State star player, the Aggies are rolling. They get a Saturday off and then four games and then off to the conference tournament. Yeah, I, you know, I, I go by Patrick, but I was actually named mediocre. <laughs> that a kid. Yeah. Could have been worse. I would have thought it was middling. Yeah. They they contemplated sucky. <laughs> now you're going to see that on social media if you turn on your <laughs> notifications. I'd recommend not doing that. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. Hey, Yach, speaking of uh, text message, social media, has anybody tried to guess what you were talking about in the last break? Are they pretty accurate? They nailed it. Yeah, they figured it out. Didn't take very long. Nailed it. I see what you did. Okay, fine. There you go. That was great Osborne. Coming up next, we're going to hear from Steve Cleveland. Stay with us right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. DJ's off. Riley Jensen sitting in. Joining us now is the former BYU and Fresno State coach, Steve Cleveland. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Pat. How are you? Hey, I got bad news for you. You've been replaced. <laughs> I'll tell you, <laughs> and you're you're gonna know where I'm gonna go with this. Right. In uh, a multi-decade, a little bit longer than I'd like to think, uh, in terms of four decades in this business, the 
to date, and this was replaced over the weekend, the most incredible, astounding thing that I'd ever seen in terms of stunning upsets was you taking that team into New Mexico, riding a 40-some game winning streak your first year, and beating the Lobos in the pit. It was just jaw-dropping, mouth-opening, couldn't believe that it happened. Well, I think I've since replaced that. New Mexico at home on Saturday loses to the Air Force Academy. I couldn't believe it when I saw that, man. There's just no way that happens, but yet it happens. So in terms of the most stunning win in Whack Mountain West history, I think I've got a new first-place team. Let me tell you why you cannot replace that game. Because because the circumstances are, first year, we've won seven games. We've got a makeshift team of guys we put together, biggest hearts in the world. And we we get up that morning to play, to travel, snowing everywhere. We have to take a bus. We have to take a bus to Vegas, fly to Albuquerque, get there at 2 in the morning. No, we, we just let them sleep till about 9 or 10 o'clock, put some food in them. We'll let them go back to sleep. Had no shoot around, warmed up before the game. Had a 14-point lead at half. It was tied very quickly in the second half. Then we go on a run making threes from everywhere, and we win that game. And you do you remember the sports babe? That yeah, 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 long yeah. Time? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she calls me late that night to congratulate me. I thought, okay, I've made it. <laughs> I'm on that short. <laughs> but that the thing that's most amazing about that is the next night we go to UTEP. The Hall of Fame coach Don Haskins, and he he calls he comes down when we're having a shoot around and congratulates us on the win, and and I may have told this story before, but anyway he said come up to my office and let's chat and then we we talked he congratulated me he said listen I'm going to give you some advice number one whoever's making that schedule you need to get control of it otherwise you'll schedule yourself right out of a game and he said number two you're going to need better players. He said, as big as that way, you got, in this league, you got to have better players. So you got to go out and recruit. And the last thing, I tell you this honestly, is, is actually the X's and O's. He was so kind to us that night. We beat him in triple overtime. Uh, amazing, amazing win. We qualified for the WAC tournament. That will go down for me. In, in every game I ever coached, the greatest weekend with a group of great young men. We were undermanned and inexperienced, including the coaches, and we walked away with an amazing weekend qualified for the WAC tournament. And uh, as, it, as it turns out, we I had beat Bill Self, who was at Tulsa at that time. We played them in the first round of the WAC tournament, and, and they nipped us by three, and the season was over. But that's that was a special time. Thanks for bringing that up. That is not <laughs> No way the New Mexico game. I couldn't tell you a, a member of the New Mexico team, but the fact that they're 9-6 and six in the league tells me that uh, they were a little more prepared to, you know, get beat by uh, Air Force. Though, though Joe Scott, I believe, is still coaching at Air Force, isn't he? He's back. He's back, yeah. yeah. And, and listen, that's a really tough place, tough team type team to play. I mean, you get behind in games like that, they're so disciplined. So it doesn't surprise me that Joe and the Air Force Academy could pull that off. But you're right. that That's uh, something nobody would expect. 
Yeah, I mean, this Air Force team has lost 14 of 15 games coming into that. Yeah. I mean, you guys were bad, yeah. and you were supposed to be bad, no, we bad. and you we were bad. Were, we eight, but I don't think you were that we bad. Had eight, we had eight losses in a row, and we had six losses in a row in that season. 14 losses in about 17 games. So I, I know what that feels like. But I'm going to give some love to you about, about that, because that, that is a big-time upset, and especially for a team that – Seat that's supposed to be a ninth seat in the NCAA tournament. Um, they they're going to have to. I mean, they're, they got to go. They're going to probably get beat at Boise State. They'll beat Fresno. They're going to get beat by USU. Uh, they did have a, a great win against Colorado State, which will probably maybe get them into the last four in. But they're they're in a little bit of jeopardy. Looking at the, after that loss and kind of what's happened in the past and what's ahead of them, having to play at USU and having to play at Boise State. Right, right. And moving into what's going on today, I mean, the Cougars with a huge win over Baylor, and then the last two Saturdays on the road, teams that you think you could win, they lose coincidentally by 10 points in each game. I it just, yeah. I, I want to say, wow, I'm surprised, but I've been there, man. I've been on the road with college basketball teams, and I don't know that anything is really going to surprise me in terms of in this Big 12 where a team is going to go on the road against a team that in Kansas State they'd already beat, Oklahoma State last place. But doesn't matter, man, on those particular days. If you're not hitting and they weren't hitting the threes, the Cougs were in trouble. Well, there's no question about that. And I think that, when Khalifa is doing his magic and making threes and guys are supporting them with that, they're, they're a really hard team to beat. I, I think BYU is two and seven on the road. Uh, th- there's no shame in that. My goodness, it's, a, it's the best conference in, in America. But it, it, it does come down to that. When you, I mean, they, they beat Baylor. They hit 14 threes. Beat, Baylor hits five. You know, they out-rebounded them as well and had 20 assists versus eight. So BYU played amazingly well against Baylor. But then, then you, you know, you, you get to KSU, who really made a run at them at home here at BYU, but played so well. And, and you can look at it, yes, they were six for 31 from the three. That's 19%. You're not going to win. First of all, if you're going to commit to that many threes and only make six of them, that's, uh, that's a bad situation. The other thing is that their their three point shooting was off, but defensively, Kansas State shot fifty six percent from the floor, forty six percent from the three, and uh, like we've said here multiple times, on any given day or night or whatever the circumstances are, you can get beaten this league, but it, it's really tough to win on the road, and 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 again, you know, you you just got poor shooting throughout. And it was a game of Tiki goes six and three, and we're just kind of out of sync. Um, they'll get it back. They'll be, you know, they'll be ready to kind of go forward. But you got to jump into Kansas, who who has really surprisingly to me uh, let two or three games get away where they could easily be they could be right there with Houston at, at eleven and three. So we know what Kansas is capable of. They play about seven guys, twenty minutes, uh, but they, they, they've got six or seven guys that score in double figures and um, it's going to be tough to, to win on the road. But again, the great equalizer, anytime if BYU goes on the road and is knocking down 10, 12, 13 threes, they will always be in the game. And, and if Khalifa can come in there and knock a cut, the key is does Khalifa hit a couple of early threes. 
Because when he does, they have to go out to him. Then all of that motion works, and it's hard to guard. And it's just the reason they've kind of gone away from Traore at times because they just sag in, and you can take a bid and just sag and take all the back cuts and all the throw cuts, and it's harder to run. But when the, when your five-man is making threes, it's really, really hard to beat BYU. This time of season, obviously fans get really excited about bracketology and who's going to be where and all that kind of stuff. As a coach, I know I know when you were a coach, you, you know you're you're going to say it's always about the next game. But are you peeking at that stuff? Are there people that have inside scoop for you on like what what your seed is going to be or what it's going to look like depending on how you finish? You know, no. I, I, let me tell you this. I mean, I in in the first two or three years when we were rebuilding BYU. You know, we were trying to get to the NIT, you know, and then when we got to the point where we had won some championships and we got to the tournament, I can't ever remember even thinking about that. I, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about getting to the tournament, what we had to do to get there, but it wasn't so much about a seed. Today, it's, it's a little bit different, and, and with BYU where they're in the mix, and I can't imagine they've even discussed that ever with their team, and it's kind of like they need to focus on Kansas. And uh, and sure. players think about coaches think about that personally and privately. Yeah, but I can't imagine ever a, a coaching staff ever discussing that with their team. But certainly, it's always kind of in the back of your mind. You're watching what's happening and excited. For, for me, it was kind of like let's get to the tournament. For these guys, they're looking at you know playing a couple of home games. You know, in the tournament, the first two rounds, that'd be awesome. So we we, we shall see what happens there. But yeah, it, it's in, it, all that stuff's on your mind. It's just not shared with the team, uh, and players talk about it. Coach Steve Cleveland joining us. Okay, you mentioned about the threes, and they weren't hitting for the Cougs on Saturday in Manhattan. Uh, Did you ever think about maybe, all right, guys, we're just not hitting these these today. How about we back off a little bit and look for better shots? That's a great, great question. And uh, and I kind of lived through that, and I've gone back and looked at – times when, you know, we did too much of one thing and we should have got away from it. I've not talked to Mark Pope of that. Uh, I, I know that they, hey, they put themselves in a position to get to the tournament. Um, you know, there's, it's a log jam in the middle there at seven and seven and eight and six. So who knows how this will all play out. For me personally, I, I would be giving, you know, if, if he's not hitting threes and we're not knocking threes down, I'm playing priority 20, 25 minutes. Uh, because it's somebody we can throw it to. And I, I would imagine that Foose, his, his confidence has probably gone up and down during the course of this year because he's playing and then he's not. He's on, he's not. And, it, and, and even though there's, you, you love it as a fan, you even love it as a coaching staff to know that you've got two, two inside post players, one that can play the perimeter. And, and, and has shown he can, you know, he can make some moves around the post. But I, I would really look, if this thing goes south with the three-point shooting, it's not that they're going to stop running what they run, but there may be a, more of a focus on posting up Priori or, or fo- posting up a guy like Saunders who's going to be guarded by a 6'4", 6'5", guy. Uh, you know, maybe gu- post your guards up a little bit. Waterman's not been real effective ever in the, on the, in the perimeter, but I, I do believe that if this continues where – we're, we're not able to knock some trees down and stretch the floor 
and or, or just get that action. You, you, a little inside-out action is something I wouldn't be afraid to do, and I would recommend that they do it in, in those situations. When you're coaching at BYU, one of, one of the great parts about coaching at BYU are our fans. I, w- I would also argue that one of the hard things about coaching at BYU are the fans. Um, looking back at it, um, do the at this time of year does that affect your players? Do the fans and the excitement or the disappointment does that does that affect your players? And as a coach, do you have to coach through that? Probably more today than ever. You know, with social media, I mean, everything is in the moment, in the minute. Mm-hmm. We watch it. We can read about it. It will just dissect it for, you know, for two or three days. And uh, my my suggestion, and I'm sure that the, the coaches have talked about this, but that you, 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 you start listening and reading to talk radio. You know, I mean, we want people to listen to us, but it, <laughs> it, it gets players, okay? I mean, it, they, they have to be isolated. Now, listen, they know. Those kids, the first thing they do when they get in the locker room and cel- if they've celebrated or whatever, they're looking at their phone. And what they're really seeing and feeling and reading about, all of a sudden, you know, sports columnists, uh, fans, everybody's all over you, you know. So I, I think they have to learn how to manage that. O- only the coaching staff would know that. And I'm not necessarily talking about Mark. I mean, they've got six or seven guys on their staff. That has to be a responsibility to control that environment, not let them get too high, not let them get too low when media or fans or, who you know, <laughs> their family members, you know, are disgusted with their play. It's kind of like, you just got to isolate yourself from that the best you can. But they're, they're, we're being really naive if we think that players across the country don't know exactly what's going on within minutes after that game and then continuing until you, until you get to the next game and everybody gets really pumped up about who we're going to play next. Uh, just, the good news is with, with, with most fan bases, they're, they're forgiving and they forget and let's get excited about the next game, you know, and that, that may not – be, be the case with some, but I, I, I think in my mind, we still have to realize that they are young college students, and uh, and it's tough when they we have they because they're going to read. I, I, let me just you they're going to. I have thirteen grandchildren, and the, I, the the usage of phones is something that always bothers me. And we, you know, my I've got kids that kind of control that in their homes, but you can't control that. Uh, you know, uh, when it comes to a fan base who's so passionate, and every university has a passionate fan base. So, my recommendation, and I got to believe they're doing it, but it would be just to make sure you've got a two or three year assistance, especially a kid that missed a free throw or missed an easy basket or did this, and it was kind of it seemed like it was the reason we lost the game. When in actuality, there were a lot of things that led to that loss. And if I had that circumstance, I'd probably just, you know would have talked to Dave or Heath or Teddy or whoever it was, they just go check and make sure he's okay while I'm dealing with all this other stuff. So I think that's how you manage it. It's funny you say that. We're talking to Coach Steve Cleveland. And Dave Rose, uh, one of his last years, I was sitting in his office at the new uh, Annex building. He was talking about how kids 
each year, you know, his roster was turning over because players X, Y, Z thought they should be this or that, and they weren't in the offense, so they were going to transfer out. And for a program like BYU, you need to develop guys. And I think that's part of the reason that the Cougs have been successful this season is that they didn't have a lot of turnover from one year to the next. And he said, you talk about being uh, available for all the stuff and information on their phones and whatnot. He made a line that stuck with me. He said that today's player, they look up at their father as they're walking off the court at halftime and their father's got the phone out, and he's telling the individual player where his latest ranking is on KenPalm.com, and they know it before they get into the locker room uh, at halftime. And that line made me laugh because that that's what's available, and they've got all this stuff coming at them today that uh, maybe they didn't have when you were doing it, and they certainly had it, but not as readily available no. as it is not literally like- in their palm of their hands now at all times. Yep, no. And that, and yeah, that, that made I mean, me laugh when he said that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I, I'm glad I didn't have to deal with that at that magnitude. Uh, then it was newspapers and radio and TV, you know, and we did it that way. And it, was, it wasn't firsthand. It wasn't at the moment. It wasn't as he walked into a, <laughs> to the halftime into the locker room that we're getting new information on what's happening with the team. Right. Uh, I can't imagine that. That being said, I, I, I thought it was interesting uh, – I was listening to a post game at BYU, and uh, the, the, I won't talk to you who the players are or anything there. But they, the, the conversation was, you know, you're not playing a lot. How, has that been difficult for you? You kind of went into that deal, and he, he, the young man was really transparent and very open. And uh, I was surprised by that. And then, then he indicated to me that they, one of the cool things that the program has is they have three therapists, and, and usually two of them are on site. For most practice, one or two of them are there for practices, for pre-game, pre-practice, post-practice, where these young men have an opportunity to kind of work through things uh, in, in ways that I never, ever, ever thought what could be. I mean, usually it was a coach, a head coach, or an assistant coach to sit down and give you some of the same advice and counsel. But th- this is really important to the to the young men in this program that they have access to that because. What it does, you're going to get it from the family anyway when you get home, and they'll have all of their interpretations and how everything's discombobulated. But at the end of the day, probably not a bad thing. I mean, he, he sincerely and genuinely was thoughtful and talked about his struggles and how hard it was to not play and this and this and that. But he said that it had been a great straight kind of support to him to get that kind of support from someone that was around the program but wasn't a parent, wasn't a coach, and that they could talk really uh, privately about anything. And so with that being said, uh, you get ahead of the game as a coaching staff by providing professional help. Mind you, parents and, and siblings and the fan base are still going to have their opinions, but maybe this is a way to help them remain more grounded and that they're listening to this guy, that there's a connection and there's a trust that helps that student-athlete get through these types of things. The other stuff's still going to be there, but now he can process it better than if he just comes home and listens to mom and dad, uh, you know, congratulate him or rip him and, or rip the coaches. Usually it's probably rip the coaches. What, what are they thinking? But, but I, I don't know. I don't know what you guys think, but I, I thought that was a pretty solid thing for him to share. And I, I learned something there that 
that's that's another part of your team that never existed. We just did that as assistants on our own, but probably not as well as maybe a professional can do it. Right. Helping a young person kind of feel better about themselves. I looked it up, Coach. You were on a nine-game losing streak uh, <laughs> at, at that point, and the when you went, uh, you had lost uh, ten out of eleven when you went to New Mexico, and the only team that you had beaten at that during that stretch was Air Force. Yep. See, there you go. So I, I, I got, I got to, I got to overrule you, man. I still think Air Force going to New Mexico. No. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm signing with Coach. I'm signing with Coach Cleveland after that endorsement that he gave for for mental toughness and for for mental performance coaches. I'm I'm with Coach yeah. Cleveland. I think that BYU win is way bigger than the Air Force win this weekend. It's not even close. And I appreciate all the nice things that you said about mental performance coaches, Coach. That was great uh, and I, I appreciate hey, you know what it, it, it's what, what's interesting as we as we look back at those things and, and I think back to those things um, you you lose like that I mean you know you're those kids are in therapy every day with you with one thing or another and, and but it was also a time to really connect with your guys I mean I I know every one of those players and I'm I'm kind of writing a book and doing some I'm going to do some speaking things on uh, some thoughts I had that I'm I'm kind of in putting in play here in the next few months. So I've I've actually gone back and looked at experiences that I had, and that still goes down as as the greatest experience that I've ever had. And I, I didn't tell you this, but we met as a team. You know, we had all the issues getting there, but the night before, amongst the, all this losing. I had the audacity to tell them that our goal is to win two games to get to the tournament, the WAC tournament. And I walked out the door, and I mean, I wasn't five steps out of the door. And I thought, what in the heck are you doing here? And I just had an impression. I went back and said, listen, this is real. This could be your moment. I, I don't know that it will happen, but that's how we have to, you know, and, and – I just in my gut, I thought, what have I done here? You know, to set these kids up you know, and make them feel like failures. But it came back, and then having it happen, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I lost games I should have won, and I probably won some games I should have lost. But that that was the most special moment I think when I look back to 35 years of coaching. I'll never forget that weekend. <laughs> As you shouldn't. All right, hey, we appreciate yeah. your time. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Good All to right. be with you. See you. That was Steve Cleveland. Joining us as uh, having fun with uh, the most impressive win that I've ever seen. No longer BYU at New Mexico years ago in Steve's first season, but it was Air Force at New Mexico on Saturday. It was a stunner. All right, coming up next, we'll get your watch training, 7 o'clock hour coming up. we got a couple of guests we'll tell you about. Stay with us, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone.